0: Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am super excited to have Dr. Michael Lennox on the show. Highly sought after media expert, Dr. Lennox has been seen internationally on many television shows, beginning with the Sci Fi's networks, The Dream Team, and has also been featured on numerous network and cable television venues, including NBC's Emmy Award winning Starting Over Soap Talk, The Wayne Brady Show, and many others. His radio appearances talking about the power of dreams number in the hundreds. He atta- obtained his master's and doctorate in psychology from the Chicago School, and his doctoral dissertation, Get This Astrology and Personality, is published by Lambert Academic Publishing. Dr. Lennox is also the author of two books on dreams Dream Sight, a dictionary and guide for inter- interpreting any dreams and Llewellyn's Complete Dream Dictionary. He leads workshops and retreats all over the United States and has a private practice based in Southern California. Where are you in Southern California?
1: I'm, I'm right in Los Angeles.
0: Oh, I'm in Laguna Beach. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, in, right yeah. down the road. We could have like... Down um, the road. So, <laughs> so anyway, let's just jump in. I'm, I'm so excited about this interview because you've interwoven astrology and dreams. And then you are also a psychoanalyst. So it brings so many, just really unique talents to the, you know, to the picture. So I'm excited to talk to you about that and talk to you today. So tell us a little bit about studying astrology. I know going back to your childhood.
1: Hmm. Well, astrology, uh, uh, came to me in my twenties and it started with my actual first astrological reading, um, that I got at about age, I don't know, 24, probably I was living in Los Angeles. I had a, it was this woman who had a column in the LA weekly. You remember the LA weekly? Yeah. yeah. Um, Rocky Gardner and at that time rocky actually that was back in the day when you actually had to draw a chart out by hand and she made a copy for herself to read and the client and so i sat down in this uh, uh in her home and she slides this piece of paper across the way and I'm looking at this chart while she's talking and I'm recognizing symbols because I was familiar with the symbol for Venus and Mars because they're the masculine feminine symbol uh, uh, that's used in other places. And so having this experience of noticing those symbols and listening to her language, it was just this thing in my experience. I was I was getting it like I was getting it at a level that was bigger than I was even understanding that Mm -hmm. I was getting it. And it didn't make sense to me until much later, like in my 30s, when the Internet was new, um, I started reading these like the. Astrology 101 sections to new websites, like astrology.com was the new website in the 90s. And as Kelly Fox, who who, uh, uh, created that site, started putting more background stuff about astrology, I was reading it, and that was the rabbit hole. And from that point on, I just fell in. And it was like back to that thing I had with Rocky Gardner that I got it on some fundamental level. As I dove in using the internet at first to learn about astrology, I found that the process was more like remembering something than learning something. There was just no distance. And now I teach astrology and I know how flippin' hard it is to teach astrology. I didn't have to learn it in that same way. It sort of already lived inside of my psyche. And so once I fell into that rabbit hole, I dove and I would say within three years of study, I was ready to begin doing sessions for people.
0: Wow. Wow! Well, it does. I, I've listened to some of your interviews and I don't, you know, um, William Stick Evers.
1: Does not ring a bell.
0: Okay. He's an astrologer. He came on the show and he actually, um, computer science, concert pianist, and he had a reading, mm-hmm. his friend drug him to a reading and he, he was hooked. And that now, changed
1: his life. Yeah. That, yeah, That'll, that'll, that'll his, do it. Yeah. That'll that do it. His
0: life. So. Michael, how do you, how have you interwoven your dream? You were 24. So were you in college? How how did it all come together? The astrology, the dream work, the psychoanalysis? Well,
1: uh, the, the quickest version of the story I can sort of muster is that Dreams grabbed me as a as a teenager, right? I read Freud's interpretation of dreams. Showed up on my mother's shelf because she was getting an M. S. Uh, masters in social work, and I read that. And I don't know how much I got uh, out of you know uh, uh, Freud's writing at fifteen years old, but I certainly understood that dreams could be looked at and and understood at a deeper level. And so in high school, I was just responding to kids in the hallway saying I had a crazy dream, and I would say, "Well, tell me what you dreamed, and I'll say something about it." And that act generated people's response. Like I would just say what I said, whatever. I don't remember what I said at 17, but I was doing that and getting a response from people that made it. Well, let's just say this. It led me to keep offering right valid right right, right. Yeah. so i had like the I, I wish i could remember the first time i did it i don't but like it was juicy enough of an experience that i kept doing it so by the time i was you know uh, you know at the end of high school i was known for interpreting dreams and so i kept following that through my life even though i led a, a different life in my my business world uh, uh, up until the time i was you know 40 or so where i made the big transition I did my first workshop helping people interpret dreams at like 28 years old, just filled with chutzpah and a natural gift for understanding universality. So like if I heard a dream, it's just a story. The language of the story is symbolic. I can hear the story behind the story without having to try and without projecting my own stuff on a dream. Like, I got mother issues that I worked through, right? But if you had a dream about your mother, I wasn't interpreting through projecting my stuff onto your dream, which most people do organically. It's something we do as human beings. So that by the time I was in my late 20s, I was already established as somebody in the world, though I had a career in the entertainment industry. A business side of things, I still had this m- like hobby slash career of doing workshops of interpreting dreams. Every once in a while, someone would even sit down in a session and I would do that. Then the astrology thing sort of came along in the 90s. Now I'm like 33, 34, 35, and I'm starting to read tarot cards for people, which I picked yeah. up as a teenager as well. So by the time I got into my like mid 30s, I wasn't doing this professionally, but like if you came anywhere near my home, you were going to get a tarot reading, an astrology reading, and a dream interpretation if you had one. <laughs> so the the thing in my life that shifted this was the impulse to go to grad school in my mid-30s i just went i was like i don't want to be a psychotherapist professionally fully i wanted to teach i wanted to speak i knew i wanted to deal in spiritual material but i also knew i needed to learn more about how the human psyche worked from a more traditional scientific perspective and i thought i want the education i don't want to just be the spiritual guy because that's only half of me right? So that's why I went to school. And then finishing up my master's, in between my master's and my and my doctorate, there was just this television show that came along on the Sci-Fi Network. Now, the, sh- the, the long story is, it wasn't a success. We actually, you know, were canceled after three uh, months. But I had two years of developing the show. The process of shooting 65 television shows for a season turned me into somebody who felt like oh i could work in the media as a kind of expert and so that's what happened when the show ended i just sort of tried to enter the world as someone who gave talks and lectures and workshops and dreams and and um the world said no over and over and over again those first two years after the show was canceled but my yes was so loud mm-hmm. those nos did not mean anything there was a little moment where a radio show here in LA, KPFK, reached out. They wanted me to come on. I was like, sure. And then they were like, but we want you to talk about this astrology thing that's happening. And I was like, oh, I gotta call you back. Can I tell you to- <laughs> can I tell you tomorrow? <laughs> so here General I am. Research. I'm like, I'm like 40 years old now the show's over I'm ready to be this in the world big 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 time but I wasn't sure I was ready to be publicly an astrologer mm-hmm. right that that the 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 people's thoughts and feelings about that I like being you know the Dr Lennox um but I said yes I did the radio show and that marked the moment where I was like oh why would I ever separate these things why would I ever say I'm one or the other well, I, I am both. I have these other gifts too, in fact, and now I'm sort of living a fully integrated you know, experience of spiritual teacher is the first piece of the moniker. Psychologist, astrologer, and expert in dreams comes after. Love it. But I offer a lot of things. It took a while to integrate them all. I've just turned 60, so this 40-year-old Thing, moment I'm talking about was fully two decades ago. And from that moment on, I just began to build the life that I currently lead.
0: You know, it's such an inspiration because so many, including myself, you know, you get so many no's no, and, that's and right. it just takes that. And, and I know you're, and I want to talk about this, how intuitive and and how you feel, or that you do channel some of the messages oh, yeah. you get within yeah. of course the the world of knowing the astrology and and knowing that but um i forgot my question <laughs>
1: Was it about the channeling piece?
0: <laughs> yes. No, no, no. But that's what I wanted to go yeah. into. Oh, I know that you just kept saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yes, do yes, this. Yes, yes, yes. I yeah, will let yeah. you know.
1: I, I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. I got a BFA in acting. I was living in New York City. I had an agent. I mean, I was halfway there to being a young man with an acting, you know, aspiration, but mm-hmm. like with the potential of actually having a career. Mm-hmm. Um, And I could not handle those no's that rejection landed on me as debilitating and um and within a few years i was out of the business i've lived a very creative expressive life so i've done plenty of singing and acting and artistry you know on my own to feel like that part of me has gotten some breathing room but that was a real clear example of oh you're saying no okay got it i'm i hear you you're saying no i'm not interested but this was different this was <laughs> from my soul there was no that no meant nothing to me. And there were a lot of them.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. So tell us a little bit about you as a child. Were you really intuitive and Mm. sensitive (laughs) and how you feel that that kind of guides you even today in in your work?
1: I was wildly sensitive, Mm -hmm. very intuitive, mostly incredibly observant. There were things that I saw through my eyes, not that I could talk to anybody about what I was getting, but like I watched people missing each other in conversation. I'd watch adults sort of one would talk to the other and the other would respond, and they wouldn't know that they had missed each other, but I would. So I that put me in a posture of being insanely curious about people, about relationships, about the interactions that I felt energetic response to. I didn't have the language for my sensitivity back then, but I certainly had the sensitivity. I was also raised in an environment that was not supportive for being intuitive, sensitive, or spiritual. My mother was a scientist. She believed that there was no such thing as, you know, I use the word God, which is not the greatest word because that
0: I like, inspires I like people to think of god. religion yeah. you know
1: my god is better described by atheists and, and quantum physicists that that's you know that's what god looks like to me but that that's the word we use but i i was not given permission to be intuitive sensitive observant and curious about those things those were squashed which ultimately was a good thing that the sort of grit of sand of being diminished when it came to being intuitive and sensitive turned into a pearl. But I had to heal the wounds of being raised by, you know, a mother who was a little crazy and and, and challenging to all of her children, and we all suffered. Um, But my particular suffering was that who I was inherently was not allowed to be uh, 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 in, in full expression uh, as an intuitive or a sensitive kid. But mm-hmm. I was that, and it was very internal. And once I got into my 20s and started the healing in earnest, eventually that integration uh, uh, superseded that challenged sort of childhood diminishment. And I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as a positive way that I learned who I was through the friction of being raised by someone who was a little traumatizing and then moving through the healing. Um, But the access to the intuitive information was always there and always really powerful.
0: Did, um, as a child or in terms of children, what would you suggest? I know you, you think of it as a pearl now, but you went mm. through a lot of work oh, yeah. in, in <laughs> yes. order to do that. Yeah. And um for for parents, you know, we like to talk about children a lot on this show and the inner child. Um for the young Michael or for the children mm. that are so sensitive. And so what do you see? What what could have your family done for you to help mm. you in that in that sense?
1: I'm reminded. By that question of this idea of parents who might seek to sue the child who's just had a dream that has upset them, a nightmare, by diminishing it, by saying it's just a dream. And that was what I was sort of given. It's just a dream that doesn't have meaning. There's nothing to that. Now back to this, uh, it's just a dream. You know, a parent comes in, the child is upset, just had a nightmare. And it, it might even be in earnest. Oh, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. It's just a dream. Whereas the approach that would have been more helpful would be, oh, you've had a dream. I understand. It's upsetting. How are you feeling? What was the dream like? Talk to me about it. You know, and then there can be dialogue about what a dream is and how to perceive it. But the idea of of dismissing it out of hand is sort of the, that's the model of the wound that I had was routinely my observations being dismissed. Um, Now I'm not a parent. I can't speak to parenting well, but certainly the distinction between dismissing a child's curiosities as opposed to embracing them. I do wish that when I had curiosities that there had been, a receptivity for conversations about the things I was curious about instead of being told by the authority figure that that which I was curious about had no meaning because inside of me, I knew that that was not true. Right. right. I knew what I was feeling was vibrant and powerful and real. Um, And so that would be sort of my guidance to, you know, parents or the thoughts about, how do you nurture an intuitive child well, you make them feel safe and you ask them a lot of questions
0: right 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 wow you know i i um know in a lot of indigenous cultures it's one of the first things they do when they wake up in the morning they, they yeah they dream circle and they talk about right talk about their dreams that's right and, and they explain that and and, you know, I do feel like the world is transforming in in spiritual ways. And I, hopefully the new age or the new parents out there are, you know, doing the sorts of things that you're saying. What about invisible? I'll call them invisible, but friends. Did you, did you have that one? Yeah. I
1: no, I didn't. I did not. In fact, I, I, I did not have uh, uh, Im- invisible or imaginary friendships. I did. Um, I did speak to myself out loud mm. a lot. Interesting. Like, I have no inner monologue. It's all external. <laughs> and so because I had that sort of singular ability to converse with myself that I still have today, um, that came alive uh, very early on in my in my experience. And um, because I had that, Uh, there was some like you know cogency in who i was and how i contextualized my imagination
0: right right. so it
1: didn't turn into like an imaginary friend or other but it's not dissimilar. If I'm sure my father looked across the room at me often, seeing me sit in the corner of a room and just talking to myself, looking at the window, um, he probably thought I had imaginary friends. And and in another psyche, that might have been the case, exactly. you know. Um, but I also, as I grew into an adult and then, you know, uh, really started to explore how do I operate? Like I it took me a long time to learn the inner map of the energetic guidance in that sort of woo woo way that we say we have guides or we have angels that, that protect us. Or, you know, uh, I, I have an understanding of how that works now, but it like that, that came late.
0: Right. How in did my you, you know, I heard you talking about this topic on an interview and you mentioned that you have a guide and inner yeah. teacher, um, yeah. enormous energy, especially yeah. when you're giving the astrology, mm-hmm. the astrology readings that you just end up like totally sweating. You have to yeah. change your shirt. I've changed my shirt all five, day long. Five, four, five four times a day. And um experience on the inside, knowledge that comes through. I'm sorry, this is yeah. a paraphrased quote. Experience on the inside, knowledge that comes through me, not. From me yeah. of course using the rules or the knowledge of everything you know about astrology can you tell us a little bit yeah a little bit about that
1: i'd love to um first and foremost most people who have experiences of those who channel wisdom and would use those words right most of those people are channeling words and wisdom from a disembodied spirit that's outside of them that connects to and speaks through them. That is not what happens for me. It is not a disembodied spirit that does the speaking. What what I know now is I call him, it feels masculine, teacher. Um, And I know what it feels like to have that part of me lit up and that feeling I've had my whole life, right? So that didn't come later. What's funny about this, Marla, is is that it's triggered when I'm asked a question, and it doesn't matter if the question is, what's the meaning of life? Or if the question is, is this the right way to Sunset Boulevard? Like, if I'm asked a question, I feel the spin of my energy, the activation of this channeled experience, my voice gets faster, a little louder, I start to gesture in a different way, whether I am interpreting a dream or giving so many directions on the street. So the feeling of this activation I've known always. Well, you're from Los Angeles or Laguna beach in Southern California. I live in Los Angeles. We don't walk in this town. We drive. And yet, I've lived here since 1987. This doesn't happen anymore um, as much as it did, but for like 15 years, I was asked directions countless dozens of hundreds of times over 20 years in Los Angeles, because I think teacher who is part of me that wants to answer questions is just this receptive question answering, you know, put a quarter in and ask a question out will come and answer. So all right, so I've had this feeling and identified the feeling. It took a long time to sort of identify that it's a guidance system, that it's part of me but not embodied in me, that it has mm-hmm. a high vibe, which means it cannot embody into my body. My little body wouldn't be able to hold that energy, but that it's, it's right there that when it's called into action, I just spin, and then I have access to an ability to tap into all of the wisdom that I know, right? It's not wisdom that comes from elsewhere. So I can't know things that I don't know, but I can answer things from a place that is way more sophisticated than my human thinking brain, which Mm -hmm. is not a bad brain. And I know a lot of stuff, but (laughs) teacher can just spin off. And then, I don't always remember what I've said, right? Not in a like kooky way. Like, what did he say? It's not like that. I actually had a friend years, decades ago, who I had contempt for because she would be like, what did she say? I'm like, honey, you are here. You you know what she said. And it's not an immediate, I've forgotten everything that came out of my mouth, but like a day or two later, someone will say, well, when you said this in the reading, I'd be like, I said that, that doesn't sound like something I'd say, but what, when this part of me is activated, it's like we can trust what comes out of my mouth.
0: Right. Interesting. That must be so, it just brings an, another dimension to your readings and for astrology and for dreams. So let's talk about this astrology a little bit. How do people use astrology to help them in their daily lives? Because I heard you say, <laughs> I think you'll remember this, <laughs> that you probably would have gone mad if you didn't have astrology. Oh, or you God, would have thought yes. you were crazy.
1: Oh, God, yes. Well, first of all, I have a physical experience in my body of overwhelm from energy. This has been a lifelong thing. Uh fatigue is a big symptom of it. I have um I have gone through years where I felt motion sick just from feeling the energy of wow. us moving. Um, so I had this physical sensitivity. Now, when I was in my earlier life, I just would have had a narrative, I'm sick all the time, I'm sick all the time. And then when I learned astrology, I just noticed it's like, I'm not sick all the time. It's just that when the energy gets very big, just big or small, like high or low, if the energy that my that I understand by reading the transits, moving planets, and how they interact with my natal chart. So that's what I mean, by like on a big day. So if there's a two or three day period where energy is hitting my chart in a very big way, I'm likely to not feel well physically, to feel, I call it moon sick, but if I was 29 or 33, I would have called it, I get sick all the time. And why? Because my dad was sick all the time and you know he passed his neuroticism onto me. Now, I don't have anything that my father had. There's nothing about what my body expresses that's anything like what my father's body expressed. But I didn't know that in my 20s and early 30s. I just had this experience, right? right. But once I sort of put together, oh my God, waves in big energy mean waves of this feeling, I began to have a paradigm shift about how I perceived the energy, this thing, the energy. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is true of like moments where I might lose my stuff in like mental constriction or anxiety or overwhelm that if I didn't have the transits to say, ah, that's what I'm expressing right now, I'd have to find a reason because that's what we do.
0: Right, right.
1: Like if I say to somebody, I'm blank. The first question, they'll be like sad, right? I'm sad today. Most people will say, why? Why? like like that's the purpose i have a feeling i got to find a why so astrology helps me let go of that so that, that i'm not in the why of it but more in the that of it like it's like okay if i see the theme that the archetypes of the astrological transits are playing out and i know what i'm working on of course i'm anxious today with that transit hitting my chart right and then i don't judge myself For the experience I'm having, I let that go, and I just trust that this is life unfolding. So speaking to that idea of just letting judgment go because I see the energy is behind, the energy is the why, I cannot tell you how often the first thing that people will say in the first, like, say, 10 minutes of a reading, especially if they're really going through it, when I just give the transit information, they go like, wow, I thought it was crazy. Oh, I thought I was losing my mind. It's like, no, you're just in a cycle. It's energy. It'll pass. It'll shift. And when we know what it is archetypally, that's astrology is asking us to consider, then we can do something with the energy. Right,
0: right. It's so true when even friends of mine, someone will say, well, you know, it's retrograde. (laughs) i've been feeling really this way and and then everyone that's the way i've been feeling that's I think so. it's kind yeah. of interesting, even though none of us really know what that means.
1: <laughs> Maybe not, and it's probably overused, but it's a better way of contextualizing a moment right. if the alternative is to somehow want to blame the self.
0: Exactly.
1: We are designed in some ways to right. cause our own <laughs> suffering mm-hmm. by our perceptions, and uh, I think so, astrology contextualizes things in a m- more less personal way.
0: Way. Right, right. So if someone wanted to learn, you know, astrology 101, number one, would that help them do what we're talking about right now, kind of to understand what's going on with them a little bit better? Or where would they go to just learn a little bit about about this to help them in their daily lives?
1: Well, you know. When someone knows how to read their chart, which does take a little bit to learn, it's not an easy thing to learn how to read a chart, but it's certainly possible. What One of the things that that opens up uh, uh, us to is specificity about an astrological moment that's more akin to what their actual life is expressing at the moment. So as an example, in a social media world, we're all likely to know when the new moon is coming and when the full moon is coming or we're certainly likely to know where, you know, when mercury retrograde is taking place, right? Like so you can't avoid that if you're on any social media platform. Right. Right? So we're just coming out of uh mercury going retrograde in the sign of Virgo. So if Mercury is the mind and thinking and perceptions, how we communicate, how we think, how we perceive, and a retrograde cycle uh, is a planet moving backwards, appearing to move backwards, which I, because I'm a psychologist, I use the language of that's the planet going into the unconscious to help us rewire stuff that's down below the surface of our conscious awareness. So it's valuable. The planet is down below, which is why we bump into all the furniture, which is why Mercury (laughs) retrogrades are so clunky. Um, And you can learn that and you can appreciate that with ease. But now imagine you know what house in your natal chart, and there are 12 of them, and each one represents a completely different area of life. But now you know which one is ruled by the sign Virgo. And now you can examine your life in a more specific way, where then astrology would say the communication shifts and changes that you're being asked to go through or look at are going to be defined or localized to one area of your life more than others. Mm-hmm. And so when you know that now you're considering your inner thought patterns and the things you want to shift about perception in a more specific way. Same thing with the full moon and the new moon, right? So if we get on, you know, a full moon in Aries that's you know coming up at the end of of, of, of September, and you know what house that full moon falls into. Now you've got two houses, the one where the sun is in Libra and where the moon is in Aries. And I'll be writing about that full moon, talking about we're releasing things that inhibit us from having you know, too much passivity in relationships. Libra's about harmony and balance. But if we're too focused on that, then we're keeping the peace too much. And then the Aries full moon allows us to lift up the me part of relationships. Like that, that's a hint about what I'll be writing about about the Aries full moon. But if you know what houses in where that falls in your natal chart, now you have an opportunity to consider the releases and the celebrations that a full moon asks of us with more specificity. Mm -hmm. And then if you Mm -hmm. do that and it juices you to learn more about astrology, now you can be in a place where you can be in a state and you might have thoughts and feelings about the state you're in, and you can turn to astrology for a contextualizing bit of energetic information that will tell you the wherefores and the whys behind the energetic experience you're having and how long it's likely to last. Interesting. Is
0: isn't astrology I hate to even ask this question, but isn't it more like scientific scientifically proven because you have math or shapes or geometry or well There's a I mean, term. versus the, the woo-woo stuff, you know. Well, yeah, I have to yeah. love, but what people call call that
1: the term out there in the world would be pseudoscience. Oh, astrology really? is a astrology? pseudoscience. Yeah. Anything that has vague scientific potentiality, but can't actually be verified. Scientifically in the scientific method, which means replicatability, Mm -hmm. would be called a pseudoscience. Now that will probably be used contemptuously and sort of felt as a a judgy kind of you know description. Like nobody's saying pseudoscience as a celebration. They're sort of saying it as a dismissive thing. Right. But I, I would love to take that for the purpose of this interview, I'd love to take that away. Because it, it that's what we call it. We, we call it a pseudoscience, which means it's like science, but not quite. Right. And so that's accurate. It is accurate that astrology has scientific and replicatable astronomical functions. That's pure science. The planets really do move. They really do make geometrical shapes. And, and that movement is measurable and replicatable pure science. Astrology seeks to add archetypal interpretations to that scientific movement, and that's what makes it a pseudoscience, because that's not replicatable, not scientifically proven. Now, I did my doctoral dissertation comparing elements of the psychology with elements of astrology, and so I have read, All, at least all as of like 2006 and before, all of the psychological literature devoted to astrology. And I will tell you, it is 50-50. You can find 50% of the research that was done to show statistically significant, valid scientific reflections that astrology is true, and 50% where it failed to do so. So I love that. Yeah. I don't need science to come along and prove astrology. Like people will say, do you believe in astrology? It's like, I, I use astrology. It's not about believing. I don't believe in astrology. That's not happening. It's a tool. I use it. So <laughs> science, science or not. <laughs> right. Well, the validation that, yeah. from people
0: when you give the readings, you know. Yeah, in uh, I, world, yeah.
1: that in is I, right.
0: Yeah, I use the medicine wheel a lot when I'm consulting you know people and it's people have different thoughts about about you know shamanism the medicine wheel but the validation you get when it really helps people that's the important thing
1: i've had thousands of experiences of seeing a direct correlation between me saying words that are sparked by astrology only and then having a client flip out because exactly what I'm saying is what's going on.
0: Right, right.
1: Right? And so, like, as an example, I had a woman come in. I don't know why I remember this particular session, but uh, I think it was because it was so immediate where uh, I could see the transits in her chart for the year, and I saw there were a lot of planets hitting her Venus, which is about love and relationship. They were not good geometries. It was difficult. I could tell. And so I just simply said, wow, well, we're going to be talking all about your relationship today, honey. And she started to weep. So now. One could argue that I didn't say anything, really. I was general. I could have just guessed that. And then she said it. And that validated my the rest of the session. And they would call it, you know, bullshit because it was just, you know, throwing spaghetti against the wall. And I just went to the one that landed except that I don't say anything casually or randomly in a session. Everything that comes out of my mouth comes from the transits I'm reading. So I, I, I I said what I said about relationship and love to this woman because of her chart and the transit she was in. Well, I've had that experience thousands of times enough that I'm the walking empirical study. It's not valid in a no, you know, no scientific journal is going to publish my observations, but Mm. I know what science is, which is just replicatable results. And I've just seen that. Over and over and over again, yeah, so,
0: so astrology, um, do you feel like it would be helpful to have a young child's astrology done for the parent just to get some information or?
1: Well, I do it all the time. <laughs> for parents, um, I would say this when it's organic in a session, and a parent wants to talk about uh, a a child, and we we sort of are looking at something that is challenging Mm -hmm. or needs some input, that's very satisfying to me to sit with a parent to come from both the wisdom of the psychologist from training and the use of astrology to reveal right. things and to, I love that. And that feels valuable and interesting. When I get asked to read a newborn, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it, but I don't enjoy it. Right. And I don't get the value. Right part of why I don't enjoy it is because I'm not sitting with somebody who can reflect back at me. Right. 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 Even, even if like we were doing a reading and you were like, look at my sister's chart, I would still be bouncing off your sister's energy because she's a fully formed human with her patterns, all codified. An infant is not codified. Mm -hmm. It's pure potentiality. The patterns haven't landed yet. So there's no, there's nothing to bounce off of energetically.
0: And the parents can't bounce off you either. That's right. They can't validate they don't anything. that's right, right, right.
1: So, I like I said, I'll do it, but I don't get the value until there's interaction happening. Right. And then the value of the language can land helping a parent to understand how to reach or accept a child's, you know, way in the world more powerfully or more beautifully uh, um that to me is a juicier better <laughs> use. right of that, make,
0: that makes a lot of sense so michael um into astrology um what is what do you see i know that you had mentioned that next year we're going to talk in the future that there were, and and I apologize, like I did in my in, intro letter to you, that if I'm not using the right verb. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: that's okay, honey. He,
0: like three outer planets are going to be. Yeah, yeah, out. it's I mean, not actually
1: we- next 20. year. It's, we're talking about twenty five and twenty six. Oh um, okay. Well, I mean, next year actually, that's not true. Let me be more accurate. What's happening this year, next year, twenty five and twenty six is is that three outer planets are all changing signs. Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto. Pluto is doing that now. Pluto moved into Aquarius this year and then retrograded and turned back and is back in Capricorn. Then he'll move into Aquarius again and back into Capricorn again and then into Aquarius and back. This will happen five times in total from the beginning of 23 to the end of 2024. Right. That's just a function of where Pluto is doing the retrograding that he does every five to six months. Right. But make no mistake about it. The planet that brings death and rebirth and change and transformation down to the molecular level that deals with issues of power and authority and the, you know, the shadow is moving into the sign that rules the age we're trying to create. Aquarius is all about technology and a one world community where everyone is cared for. Have you noticed the technological explosions this year? Yeah. that That's no mistake to the astrologers. That's Pluto inching in and out of, c- of Aquarius. Aquarius invented technology. Aquarius invented social media. Aquarius invented the internet. Aquarius invented chat. 늘- mel- 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 <bringing him> <Chat-people-> <predicting applicant> I can never say that. Um, <laughs> artificial intelligence, pure Aquarius energy. So when Pluto moved into Capricorn in 2007 and eight, that was the major recession. That was the great recession. And Capricorn rules structures like banking and housing. And when Pluto moved into Capricorn, we had the breakdown of banking and housing. And so now we got Pluto moving into Aquarius. We've got challenges with the world community that's trying to come together. We got war on the planet in a way we haven't had in a while, in a matter that the whole world is sort of orienting around the war in Ukraine. You've got all of this technological explosions. And once Pluto fully moves into Aquarius, we're just in a different landscape of change and transformation on the planet in the efforts of trying to create a world community that cares for everybody that's in it in the Aquarian way in a world that wants to fight that really badly. Mm -hmm. So that's one big ingress change. In 2025, the planet that rules spirituality and religiosity and the inner fervors that come from religion and spiritual connection, that's Neptune. Neptune is ruled by Pisces. Pisces is the is the sign of the unconscious and the behind the scenes, the oneness, the connectedness, you know, that we all experience. Pisces is the ocean, if you will. So Neptune has been in Pisces since 2011. That's allowed a lot of people to get deep in their spiritual connection, to expand their belief in, you know, the invisible. But it also rules how people respond to their beliefs. And when that planet moves out of Pisces, in 2025, and moves into Aries, the the, the sign that invented war, that I have concerns about what will happen, especially in the United States, as there's so many people ready to sort of pick up arms for what they believe in, um, that that's another ingress that we're going to see Big changes on the planet because things that have been brewing since 2011 on people's insides are going to start showing up as action. Now, the benefit of this is, is that from the perspective of Neptune being the connection to forgiveness and compassion and a spiritual approach to the God, um, Neptune moving into Aries will also activate people in a positive way, trying to bring peace and love and harmony and change. But the edginess of Neptune in Aries is, you know, concerning. (laughs) And then Uranus, the planet that brings fast change, has been in Taurus for the last bunch of years, a slow, grounded, earthy sign. And he will move into Gemini in 2025 as well. So that's another change of the planet that brings things that happen very suddenly will move into a mutable sign of Gemini where, where things aren't grounded and stable. The chart for the United States of America has Mars in Gemini and Mars is the body and in the chart for the USA that rules us as a population So uh, Uranus moving into Gemini signals a lot of activation of more words and more polarization and more difficulty that comes because of two-sidedness. You know, Gemini is the sign that invented polarity. The United States is riddled with polarity. It, mm-hmm. it, it threatens to destroy us. And when Uranus moves into the sign that invented polarity, then polarity can only increase. So when we get into 25 and 26, when the Neptune change and the Uranus change joins Pluto in his change that's happening now, we're going to see a very different outer landscape all over the planet that happens when outer planets change signs but when you've got the three outer planets all changing signs within about a year or two period that signals a very dramatic change in the outer landscape you don't need an astrologer to wonder about that certainly not in, in the united states of america but it is interesting to me as an astrologer at how perfectly the planetary movement is reflecting the outer movement in the world
0: interesting so what i hear you saying it's going to be of course polarity or duality you know that there's going to be a lot of good coming in but there's going to be a lot of bad i mean can you just kind of explain it yeah the yeah well in terms
1: i i would say this it, it, speaking of just the united states it feels like we're in a bit of a gordian knot You know, we're tied up in a knot that cannot be unraveled. When you cannot unravel a knot, you have to cut it. Now, how that plays out, I'm not speaking into. I don't know. I know that I I spoke about this on somebody somewhere, and I got, you know, the little bit of pushback. It's like, oh, you're doom and gloom. I don't want all that negativity. It's like, me? I'm I'm the most hopeful <laughs> believer in resilience God that there is. But look around. Yeah, yeah. We're in a mess that might need to be cut in order to get to the unraveling and the rebuilding. That has to happen. I prefer it to happen with as little friction and destruction as possible. I believe in our capability to move through radical change over the next decade in a manner that isn't violent. Um, But I accept that this change has to happen and it has to happen in that kind of decisive definitive, we gotta break the system open to create a new one. I don't think we can Mm. unravel it. So yeah, if, if someone hears this and they think, oh my God, He's saying scary things and being a fear monger is like, that's in you, honey. I think we got this. You know, Um, I but I can't soft soap what I see.
0: Right. Well, you also said in an interview that no one is going to get through the next five years without a spiritual practice. So let's talk about that a little bit.
1: <laughs> Golly. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's accurate or not. I know that I would not have made it in my life without a spiritual practice, without a meditative practice, without a breathwork practice. For me, it's utter and complete. My, you know, I would say 80% of my life is lived devotionally, you know, the other is, you know, sitting on the couch watching TV, (laughs) smoking a little weed at the end of the day. Um, but mostly it's about a practice that allows me to remember that I'm an energetic being inside a physical body, that the present now is only where my feet and my body is, that my mind will take me into tomorrow and yesterday and I don't want to be there. Um, And so I get, that's why I can say shit's hitting the fan in the next couple of years, but still feel hope and still feel a sense of the resilience that's coming um, because I believe in our capacity for resilience and I experience it in my personal life. Because every day I'm acting in behaviors that remind me that my body is where the center is, that as I breathe, I will experience life. So I breathe fully and deeply with every breath and try to be as conscious of every breath I'm taking. Blah, 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 blah. I could go on and on and on. So if I look at the changes to come, and one of them is the planet that guides our spiritual connection is moving into the cardinal sign of air Aries. That's the beginning of all movement. You know, Aries starts up the Zodiac. It's the, it's when the sun moves into Aries, we're at the astrological new year. So when I look at that, I say, here's how to survive the next decade is you grab onto Neptune moving into Aries and you make sure that you're starting up. Aries energy. you're starting up every day of your life from a place of I'm going to remind myself of existence itself. I'm going to remind myself that my body is in the present now moment and that's where I want to live. And that those habits, those behaviors ground me. they comfort me and they allow me to meet the chaos of the world. um, Like just feeling like I got it. Yeah. And I think that so I say that no one will get through it is is really just a you know a tropey kind of clever way of saying the best solution to any of the chaos to come is to have an inner common peace that you cultivate privately, personally, just with you in the mirror and your body.
0: Well, that's a big message because I think that's what we spiritual leaders and that's that is the message yes that you know we can't really change the astrological you know the, which direction the planets are going in or merging with one another but we can change the way that we respond to that and that's then right back to our young people what a gift yeah. to give them as a child, a strong spiritual practice for resilience and just knowing that there's something bigger. And can you? Can you?
1: Well, the kids are into it, honey. Yeah. The kids. Yeah. Kid. Now, I'm, I'm, they're not coming to me, but they're, uh, uh, uh um, because there are some wonderful young astrologers out there. Um, but social media is, Allowing the idea of using astrology uh, um, to sort of spread like wildfire in the younger generations. And that mm-hmm. excites me quite mm-hmm. a bit um, because that that generation isn't all divided as we are. Right. Mm-hmm. So our you know, uh, they, they are our savior and the fact that there's so much rising up in 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 the younger generations that are interested in spirituality they're interested in you know connecting to the magnificence of of existence without the dogma of religion right you know and astrology to me is the perfect tool that is both scientific and energetic but also taps you into the power greater than us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be some idea of a guy sitting on a big chair with a white beard, uh, telling people not to be gay. Um, You know, it can, the astrology is the tool for the younger generations to have a kind of disconnect from dogma, but a life steeped in connectedness that will allow peace for humanity to eventually come.
0: Right. Right. So, so true. Um, saving way to a little bit more about dreams. Um, on this show, we talk a lot about, you know, near-death experiences, shared death experiences, terminal lucidity, all kinds of different things. Mm. And so I know in your new book, you're going to be exploring, I'm um, exploring visitations. Yes. And so can you talk, because I think, well, I don't know if everyone's had them. I have certainly had them. And they're just so much more real, something <laughs> that you never forget, something, Correct. yeah, those sorts of things. So in your in your area of work, what, what have you found with these visitation dreams?
1: First and foremost, they are not like regular dreams. They are different. And there are, in fact a few clues. One thing that all visitation dreams have in common are a singular setting principle. Typical dreams are all over the place. That's sort of the joy and the horror of dreams is you're you know you're up one wall down and down the other. Visitation dreams, always take place in a singular setting. Sometimes it's even the room in which you're sleeping and mom or grandpa or the dog comes and sits on the bed. Maybe I've heard a lot that is like, I was just in a uh, benches, like sitting on a bench, park bench, right? Lots of uh, um, idyllic, lovely settings, but, but always singular and almost always the person visiting either does not speak or speak something very simple, like, I love you or all is well. And even if they don't utter it, there's a sense of, I love you or all is well. Once you get into, and then we got into the cloud car and like, blah, blah, blah. Now we're in psychological dream experiences. We're out of visitations. The most beautiful thing that I've clocked over the years is talking to people who had a spiritual awakening as a result of a visitation dream I remember talking to a young man once where he just and he welled up with tears in his eyes because before this dream where he his mom had passed he was driving down to san diego he's starting to lose it on the road because he was just so tired he had to pull over and take a nap and In the napping in the car, he has this wild, vivid visitation dream with his mother that was so real to him, because it's not a dream, it's a real thing, (laughs) that it not only comforted him in his grief, it changed the course of his life in terms of his belief system. Mm -hmm. And that has happened. I mean, I've heard that you know, told enough times to get that, that, that someone could be in their pedestrian life and be like, yeah, maybe, maybe we're connected. Maybe there's energy, maybe it's blah, blah, blah. But then they have that experience and it is undeniable. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I interviewed Kate Adams. She's a researcher in the UK and does a lot of research on children and dreams and interviews them, and I remember one little boy was very upset with his parents, and he mm-hmm. ran away, and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, he had this dream, I think he was only like seven, and said that God came to me and talked to me and told me about how deeply my parents love me and want me to be mm-hmm. saved and want... And it was just so she's interviewed quite a few children, um, just asking them very, very simple questions. And what comes out is just, it's just profound. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those kinds of things. Wow. So dream work. um, Do you, what is your book where you can kind of break apart any sort of dream and, and figure out what it means. Well,
1: My first book, Dream Sight (laughs) is, is designed to teach how to approach the symbols that tell the story in the dream from a universal perspective that the, the every object has a meaning that is Embedded into it by virtue of what it is, what it does, right. what its uses, what its essence is, right? We want to look for universality when we consider the symbolic meaning of something, meaning what would most people on the planet think of if they perceived the same object, right? So I'm at my desk here. So I pick up a pen or pencil, right? Everybody understands that we write with a pen or a pencil, everybody understands that pencil is erasable pen is not right there is a beautiful sense of what pen in a dream or pencil in a dream might mean Mm -hmm. universally because it's an implement to expand communication in the case of a pencil it's temporary or erasable pen it's permanent and then what happens in the dream with the pen reflects the meaning of the dream to a further level but you have a better understanding of how to perceive the dream when you go to the universal meaning of the thing itself animals in animal medicine same principle there You know, the, the wisdom that an animal brings is based on its behavior. It's not, it's not like, Oh, you got to figure that out. It's like, well, what does a bear do? A bear does not have to show its strength. It owns it and it knows the cycles of life and it understands winter. It understands that there are times to just retreat completely. That's bear medicine. Mm -hmm. Strength that doesn't need to show itself to be owned and held and an organic notion that sometimes we put that strength to bed and let it rest. That's universal meaning that anybody could come to when they start thinking, how would I interpret this if I were thinking about the universal meaning of it? so yeah. that's what that book is designed to do yeah. to just that makes so
0: it. much sense do you suggest that people write down their dreams every oh morning?
1: god yes yeah I don't do that anymore, but but that's just because I'm sort of at the end of the game, not at the beginning. But when I was in my 20s and 30s, <laughs> oh and 20s, my God, my God. <laughs> well, because here's how the truth is, is that I don't need to write down every dream. When I have a dream that needs my attention, I know about it. Yes, yes. But when I was in my 20s, I didn't know that I had to write okay. it down every dream, right? So yes, I, I in fact, here's my hierarchy of, 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 of the approach to dream work. Just having a dream is valuable to us even when we don't remember them. Somehow we're doing something where the soul opens up the psyche, the rational mind is asleep. uh, The rest of our mind is able to connect with our multidimensional sort of consciousness where anything can happen and probably will. And then we wake up the next day better, smarter, wiser because we've learned and practiced our humanity while we've slept. And that's happening every time we sleep whether we remember our our dreams or not. So dreams are doing something for our growth just by virtue of us having them so that we can take that to a higher vibe level by writing them down, remembering them, anchoring them in our waking consciousness takes whatever value they have for us and makes it bigger. Then... Sharing a dream with another human being, I think, is on a higher rung than even writing them down because now you're engaged in the intra thing that happens when human beings get together that's right. mysterious as well as, you know, logical. So sharing dreams takes it to an even greater level. And then the best thing you can do for a dream is just to respond creatively. You know, the unconscious is giving you something and then the unconscious doesn't know the difference between what is real and ritual by sitting down and drawing a picture of the dream or writing a poem about the dream or acting the dream out as a dance in your living room, you know, around the candle in your underwear, that act of creative expression juices up the unconscious. And now what I think happens when you're in dream work is is that impulse for the deep psyche to open up and help us learn becomes something that our conscious awareness is actively engaged in. And then the whole system is just operating at a higher level. And I think we grow deeper and faster by virtue of routinely paying attention to Mm -hmm. the dreams that we're having.
0: Oh, true. You know, my daughter has dreams of m- my son that passed. they not dreams, visitations. And she'll come in and she'll say, Mom, Dean came and visited me last mm-hmm. night. And then she goes into these. I mean, she remembers Everything about them. I mean, even having a conversation about what does God look like and what, I mean, it's just.
1: Oh, wow. beautiful! I
0: know. I know. It's just so I just cherish when she shares with me because it's so they also these visitations, they're such an emotional Thing to it, like you were just saying. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh God, change they 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 change, us. They change yeah, us. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, this is so okay. So I want to like learn more about astrology and dream interpretations. <laughs> you've given me you've given me a lot a lot to work on. So, well, we need to wrap it up, Michael. But is there anything? I know we're talking about a lot of. Well, we say different things, but really they all interweave. That's when it once again, back to the beginning. That's yeah. what's so beautiful about your work yeah. to to bring all this together and and help people, you know, be a spiritual teacher. So any last words you'd like to say?
1: You know, I think that the world is heating up. It's getting a little scary and it needs us. Mm -hmm. The world needs us all to be contributing at the highest level that we can. It doesn't mean you have to do what she does or they have to do what we do, but all of us are being called to meet a world that's changing at a rapid rate in a manner that is frightening because we don't know what's going to happen. Right, And so... It's back to then the power of the spiritual practice on a daily basis so that you are more fit to meet the world at large and the way, you know, the world on its own terms, you know, and then find the ways that activating works for you. Meaning getting out there in the world and spreading love and connection um, by knowing your gifts and sharing with the world, because we need everybody to be stepping up and bringing their best.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I have one more question. If you could take a walk with your seven year old self, what would you say?
1: I think the first thing I'd say is I know you're sad. Oh. I know you're sad. And one day you'll be easy with it. And your sadness is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Wow. So, Michael, if people want to find you, how would they go about doing that?
1: com. In fact, the way to follow me is on like TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, yes. but the best way to find out where to do that is just go to com. The one thing I didn't do, which I wish I had done over was like have every handle on every social media platform be the same thing, but it's not, they're all different. <laughs> yeah. They're all different. It's so all, just... It's
0: a long learning process, right?
1: <laughs> go to michaelendix.com. You can see everything that I do in the world of teaching astrology, in the teaching of process and shadow classes that I do, my daily astro alerts, which yeah. is a way to tap into astrology every day. Um you know, and I do a podcast every week. There's lots, there's lots that's free and there's stuff you got to pay for. Right, great, great.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's definitely been, been an honor.
1: Well, it's been a joy and a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening in today.